Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's time for Midday Edition on KPBS. Today we are talking about preserving the culture of the Kumeyaay Nation. I'm Jade Hindman. Here's to conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. We'll talk about the ways Kumeyaay tradition and history are inspiring the next generation. All these people who were powerhouses in the native civil rights movement, they inspired me to um, you know, continue on and, and to teach. Plus, we'll explore the little-known Kumeyaay history that shaped the region. And we'll hear from SDSU's tribal liaison about what it means to have an inclusive and culturally relevant college experience. That's ahead on Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. San Diego County has the most tribal governments and reservations in the country. That includes the Kumeyaay Nation, whose ancestral land San Diego sits on. Historically, the Kumeyaay were forced off their ancestral lands and their language and culture suppressed. Today, students, especially Native students, don't get an opportunity to even learn about that history and heritage until college. That's where Professor Stan Rodriguez comes in. He's the director of Kumeyaay Community College, one of three tribal colleges in California, and chair of the Kumeyaay Studies Department at Cuyamaca College. His work is centered around preserving and passing along Kumeyaay culture. Professor Rodriguez, welcome. Well, thank you very much. So glad you're here. Okay, so tell me about yourself. How did you grow up? I hear it's a fascinating story. Oh, gosh. Well, I was born off the reservation. I was born up north in Madera, California, and spent many of my years until I was about 16, coming back and forth uh, between my mom and my dad. They were separated. And finally came back down into San Diego. I was living on the San Pasquale Reservation first. And after I got my associate's degree in 
1985, I joined the Navy, and I was in the Navy for nine years. And I lived in Hakumba, out by the Campbell Reservation. And then later on, I lived on the Viejas Reservation before finally moving to San Isabel. So going all over the place, really. I see, I see. So what made you want to join the Navy? Well, I wasn't planning on joining the Navy. I was um, waiting to see if I was going to get accepted at Fresno State University. And the Navy said that they would be able to pay for my education. Came to boot camp in San Diego. Three days after I got there, I was able to call my grandmother, and she got a letter from Fresno State saying I had been accepted with full financial aid. A little bit late, but that was my career in the Navy. Oh, my goodness. And your grandmother was really instrumental in passing along Kumeyaay culture and language, right? One of my grandmothers, yes. And she passed away the same day that President Kennedy was killed. So, actually, I thought that uh, when they were having the funeral for President Kennedy, they were having it for my grandmother. I was, like, five years old. But um, my other grandmother uh, stressed the importance of culture and learning traditional values and traditional skills. And that, along with my aunts, my aunts were the ones that, one of them in particular, she spoke the language, and she came from a difficult time. Uh, For me, I wanted to learn because I heard older people using the language, and there were fewer and fewer people speaking. I remember my aunt would say, Why do you want to know? Why do you want to learn? But she came from the boarding school era where language use was stifled, it was suppressed. In order to, uh, I guess, protect the younger ones, many of them didn't want to teach. So that was a problem then. But although there was difficulty in learning, I just felt in my heart the need to know the language. So... I would just keep going and going and pestering people. And so growing up and hearing about the boarding school era, hearing about the trauma of that era, and actually experiencing the seeds of that trauma, is that what really motivated you to to want to teach and preserve Kumeyaay culture? Part of it was that. And I, I was growing up during the the civil rights era. When Alcatraz was taken over in 1969, I was 11 years old. And I seen a paradigm shift. Seen that with the you know, black civil rights movement, the Chicano civil rights movement, and the Native American civil rights movement. As it shifted, there was focus on decolonization, learning our languages if we didn't speak it, learning our culture, our history teaching our own native epistemology, our own organic science, our own history through the lens of native people. I also grew up during Wounded Knee, other, uh, other events that took place, which brought pride to native people in the communities that, yes, you know, our culture is, a, I mean, is of incredible value, and we should never be ashamed of who we are. We should be proud of who we are. So all of this, growing up in in this era, and meeting people like Dennis Banks, Russell Means, the Belcourt brothers, all these people who were powerhouses in the Native civil rights movement, 
they inspired me to um, you know continue on and 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 to teach to learn and to teach you mentioned you know this movement to to decolonize mm-hmm. you know it's it's it takes a conscious effort for us to decolonize our minds and to to embrace our individual cultures and customs and to to learn them mm-hmm. how is that process for you and for many of your students well for me it was something that was a fire in my heart. And when I wasn't with my own people, I worked with other people who were doing the same thing. And up north was the Monos, with the Yoka people, other different groups with the Lakota people, uh, many different groups. And coming and working with my own, my own people, my own family, it was an inspiration and a challenge at the same time. Because I didn't grow up all my life down here, many people seen me as a newcomer, and that uh, that posed its own uh, challenges. However, working through it and seeing people who wanted to learn and starting to learn and able to use the language and seeing that shift in them, that pride that was coming, and other people who were here and wanted the same thing, that brought joy to my heart, and it still does. All right. And, you know, you're you're also the director of Kumeyaay Community College, which is focused on Kumeyaay language, arts, culture, history, and other subjects. How did it first get started? Well, it got started, and there were many reasons for this. One of the reasons is how our history and culture were being taught in the primary, secondary, and tertiary institutions. Now, let me digress for a moment. We're talking about Kumeyaay Community College. Actually, it all goes back to Alcatraz. In 1969, when Alcatraz was taken over by Richard Oakes and a number of other Native American students, they took it over because they seen how our culture, history is being taught in the school system, and they wanted to change that narrative. So they took over that island, and they wanted to turn it into a tertiary institution, a college, tribal college, or university, when that didn't happen, when they were evicted, they took over another piece of land. It was an abandoned Army communications post outside of Davis, California. Well, that became known as DQ University. And DQ University started in the early 70s, and in 1975, I went to that school. And they just obtained accreditation. So I got my associates when I was there. And it was completely different from any of the schools out there. This school was teaching to honor our culture, honor our spirituality, honor our languages, our history, and to teach it from a native lens. So DQ University started expanding and created uh, satellites. One of the satellites was here in San Diego on the Sequan Reservation. And when DQ lost its accreditation, the satellite became uh, its own institution, became Kumeyaay Community College. When that happened, uh, Shirley Murphy, who's a Lakota, who's married to a tribal member at Sequan, she was the one taking the lead with that and wanting it to grow. And we obtained an MOU with Cuyamaca Community College. So we offered classes for college credit. The institution developed language courses, and history courses. 
than ethnobotany, ethnoecology, humanities, and anthropology courses. So we have an accredited associate's degree program in Kumyan studies, and at this time we're developing an accredited bachelor program in Kumyan studies. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. I'm speaking with Professor Stan Rodriguez, Director of Kumeyaay Community College and Chair of the Kumeyaay Studies Program at Kuyamaka College. And Professor Rodriguez, you know, I mean, you mentioned there's just three colleges here in California, three tribal colleges, uh, including Kumeyaay Community College. It seems like there just aren't many opportunities for Native people to have a culturally relevant education at this point, like especially when K through 12 curriculum is dominated by white American narratives. Do you hope to see that change? I mean, you know what? I do hope to see that change. And you brought up an interesting point. In primary school, what do they showcase in grade fourth? The building of the missions. And if you really know the history of the missions, you know, our people have endured three waves of encroachment, the Spanish wave, the Mexican wave, and the American wave. When the Spaniards brought the missions, it was a weaponized form of indoctrination of Native people that were used to uh, house and sequester Native people, use them for servant or slave labor in building this, teaching rudimentary skills in anticipation of Spanish colonists coming. So when they, you know, build missions, what they're basically romanticizing the building of concentration camps. So one of the things that they do not teach is when the Spaniards first came to San Diego in 1769, our people attacked that first mission. Then when they moved it again in November 5th, 1775, hundreds of Native warriors attacked that mission, burned it to the ground, and killed Father Jaime and two others. These things are not talked about. Another thing that's not talked about is during the Mexican era, the Cumias were almost successful in running the Mexicans completely out of San Diego. The last time the refugees from San Diego were out at Point Loma waiting for a ship to take them away. So all these things were happening out here, and you, you never hear them hear about them in the history. You mentioned the, the Mexican encroachment. What was the, the encroachment there? Okay, so what happened was the Spaniards were basically here in California for about 50-some years, not that much. So when Mexico gained independence, uh, the government wanted to secularize the missions, take them out of uh, church hands, and uh, there were two main groups in Mexico at the time, the, majority, the vast majority, which is the indigenous population, and then the minority, which were Spaniards born into Mexico. Now, the, the indigenous populations wanted to be free. They wanted freedom for them, themselves, and they wanted land so that they could live. The Spanish minority, what they, they seen was that the Spanish government was becoming too liberal, and they wanted to go back how it was. So they wanted to create estancias, or these estates around the missions, and continue with the process of subjugation. So this is what led to the attacks and to the push of the Kumeyaay people to run these the Mexican elite out of the area and uh, just send them out of Kumeyaay territory. 
I mean, what do you hear from students in the Kumeyaay Studies program or, or those taking a class for the very first time? Is, is this the first opportunity for a lot of them to learn about indigenous history, at least in the classroom? I am so glad you brought that up because it is. And many of them, well, most of them have never heard of these things happening before. And it's, it's, it's a shock for me. And I tell them, this is historical. We are not making this up. It's just history that has not, you know, been publicized. So now we're giving this to you so that you can learn the whole whole thing. And we, we have some students who already have their degrees. We have students who are teachers, professors. We have doctors coming in, people who, who want to learn. We have high school students coming in who are, are taking courses at, uh, through Kumeyaay Community College where they get high school and college credit. And... We open it up to all, and the discussions that we have during the classes are very powerful and very inspiring. You also mentioned preserving the Kumeyaay language. Any sense of how many people speak the language now? Of approximately 4,632 Kumeyaay or Ipai, Tipai, Kumeyaay people who reside on both sides of the border because, you know, there's Kumeyaay in the United States and San Diego, and there's also Kumeyaay in Baja, California, Mexico. That border cut right through Kumeyaay territory. So of that, there's approximately 28 people who still speak the language. So under the UNESCO nine factors of language stability and endangerment, five being stable, zero being extinct, the Kumeyaay language is listed as one, critically endangered. So one of the problems with that is because of diaspora of the nation, let's say, you're Kumeyaay from one of the communities in Baja, and I'm Kumeyaay from this community. If we are not in a place where we can communicate with each other, language atrophy takes place. Also, the younger people who do not know, they have very little opportunities to hear the language spoken in order to use the language. And so much is lost culturally when that happens, because in other languages, there are, there are words that aren't even expressed in the English language, right? There are. One really has to explain the meaning of it in order for somebody to understand it. An example would be the word hauka, which means hello. However, it doesn't mean hello. The word for our soul is matau, which means the fire within our body. So when we say hauka, we're saying that may that fire you know, continue to glow brightly. It's actually a blessing. And if you do not understand the language, then you really don't know what the true meaning of that is. And then there's dialect differences. Uh, everybody speaks a little bit different. And one of the things traditionally has been if you spoke one way and I speak another, just how you speak, I would know where you come from. But we would still be able to communicate. But due to diaspora and restriction to various communities, the language appears to have gone incestuous unto itself. In other words, we can still talk, but if we haven't had that much time to interact, you may not be able to understand what I'm saying. I may not be able to understand what you're saying. And sort of preserving the language and the culture, I want to know, you're also a mentor to many Native students. How are young people learning about Kumeyaay culture and language, and how are they working to preserve it? We see many people stepping forward to learn how to sing. Now that's making a renaissance. Same thing with language. I, I knew this one young girl who was 
11, 12 years old. She came to a language class. She was scared, frightened. She didn't want to do it. She came back again when she was 13. She was scared, frightened. She came back again when she was 16. And she stuck with it. And one of the beauties is being able to hear when, you know, we can sit down and talk for over an hour. And she's comfortable with it. And she has that. And she is a role model to others because you brought up something that's very important. For young people, I would be considered a fossil, okay? But young people, when they have, how would you say, mentors or you know, people who are their own age, they become an inspiration to them. And they're the true ones that teach. Children learn better from other children. So these are things that we're working on, and we're also working on developing immersion programs. We started a pilot program where we were doing immersion eight hours a day, five days a week for one month. The terminal objective of this was upon successful completion, the participants would be able to communicate in the language for at least one hour without using, without using notes or anything. The first class, all of them were successful in doing that. The problem with it is, again, due to diaspora, if they're not in close proximity to each other, you start seeing language atrophy taking place very quickly. So one of the things that we've learned is a one-month program just barely gets them going. I'm looking at maybe three months or six months or a one-year program in order to really be able to solidify it with those students. So if anyone's interested in um, connecting with and learning more about Kumeyaay history, culture, where can they go? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> uh, contact Kumeyaay Community College. The classes that you would take are accredited. We do Kumeyaay languages, one, two, and three. We do Kumeyaay history, one and two. We do Kumeyaay humanities, which is what we do is we make the traditional houses, tule boats, traditional tools. We go out showing uh, the different types of foods, how to gather, how to prepare them, other things that you want to know to get on naked and afraid and gain weight. <laughs> we teach kumya ethnobotany, kumya ethnoecology, the different plants. Um, we teach kumya anthropology, all these classes. So it's through Kumia Community College, and the number to get a hold of is area code 619-445-6917. Ask for Amanda Rosas. She is a college coordinator, and she'll be able to get you get all the information, get you locked in so that you can start taking classes, hopefully this spring. All right. And, of course, you can find all that information at kpbs.org. I've been speaking with Professor Stan Rodriguez, director of Kumeyaay Community College and chair of the Kumeyaay Studies Program at Kuyamaka College. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Coming up, SDSU's Tribal Liaison tells us how a culturally relevant education can create a sense of belonging for Kumeyaay students. For me, to sit there when I speak anywhere I go, I see all the things that have been created by natives that are here now and indigenous people that started since the beginning of San Diego State, of all the efforts of trying to get a place where they can feel like they belong. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition.
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. Jacob Alvarado Wypuck is the first ever tribal liaison at San Diego State, a position that was created in 2020. As tribal liaison, he's building relationships with various tribal communities while also working across the university to help Native students feel safe and included on campus. He joins me now to talk about his efforts to serve Native students on and off campus. Professor Wypuck, welcome back to Midday Edition. Thank you for having me. So glad you're here. So you graduated from SDSU in 2014. You mentioned this last time we spoke, actually, but there wasn't really a Native presence on campus back then, right? Yeah, you're right. We didn't have the Native Resource Center at all. And, I mean, if you go go across campus right now, you'll see the work that has been done through the Native community and with our leadership here on campus and our, t- our teamwork overall as a university and creating a diversity, equity, being an inclusive environment in everything that we do. Yeah. And I know you studied abroad at the University of British Columbia, where you encountered a lot of Native representation there. How did that particular experience shape you and also inform your work here today? It changed everything. My whole perspective on um, what it feels like to be on a campus where you feel comfortable. It was a study abroad program from uh, San Diego State University to study up in Canada, University of British Columbia, of the First Nations. So it was my last part of my bachelor's degree. So that what I noticed was really quickly is that the difference of when I walked on campus, when I, when I drove on campus, I saw totem poles, you know, that represent the Coast Salish, Musqueam Nation people. All my classes are First Nation studies, you know, and I'm learning about the, the Coast Salish arts, the people, what they do, what they eat, the language, everything that en- encompasses the land of the people. And I went to class, and my um, there were Native professors there, you know. That was like a first, you know, I've seen them hardly. And there was like over about 70% Native students. I was like, well, this is cool. Like, I've never experienced this in my life. I was like, what is this, you know? And then all of a sudden, we were at an event in their First Nations House of Learning, which is a giant center for Native students. And I was like, yeah, we don't, we, we need that, you know. We need this space, like our own campus. But when I was there, we were able to have prayer circle and we would have lunch and everybody would be welcome. So it was like this community that was built there for indigenous people. And on campus, there were chiefs, um, there were elders, like in residence. First Nations people could go to these chiefs, to these elders and talk to them if they wanted to, you know. And they also had a, um, a museum that had all artifacts, you know, talking about the First Nations people. And the the most shocked thing that I ever that I experienced was when I was sitting there and then they uh they gave a land acknowledgement. 
And in my mind, I was like, whoa, what? That's cool. That's, it made my heart feel good, you know, you're honoring the first people of the land. I can so relate to your experience having gone to an HBCU and finally seeing myself and, and all of those things. It was a nurturing experience for sure. And, and I know that that experience informs much of the work if not all of the work that you do today. You know, you mentioned land acknowledgement. What does it mean to have a, a living land acknowledgement? And what does that yeah, look like? So, yeah, so that, this is awesome. Like the living land acknowledgement we have, it's being implemented right now at SDSU. Um, as an indigenous person, you know, as native, kumia, ipai, we always honor the first people no matter where we go, right? That's just the thing. There was elders that got together one of our awesome legendary elders, uh, Mike Connolly, Misquish, he spearheaded it and brought a land acknowledgement to San Diego State University, you know, and now our students, faculty, staff, alumni, they know who the Kumeyaay Nation is. They have honored the Kumeyaay Nation. They have said the land acknowledgement. And it's important because our people have been here for thousands of years since the beginning of our creation. We have to continue to be who we are while also living in a world that has been changed around us as indigenous people. So we're, we're, we're like, uh, we move with the flow of things, you know, mm-hmm. and we're very strong, strong people, you know, and we're still here. We're continuing on and we want to create relationships. You know, that's what we're about is collaboration and creating relationships with the future. Right. And speaking of relationships, I mean, in fall of 2022, there were 79 Native students enrolled at SDSU out of a student population of 35,000. I mean, how are you looking to bring more Native students to campus? I know that relationship building is really essential to that. Right. So relationship building and collaboration is the the top thing that you need to do uh, in creating relationships with uh, local tribes, even indigenous people that are uh, relocated in San Diego. And then there's also reservations that aren't even state rec or not recognized federally, but they are state recognized. And all of them, you know, is building that relationship by going to the reservations, you know, creating a relationship with them, talking to them about college, uh, going to college fairs um, to each reservation. Cause that's what we do. We go to the reservations. We go to the, we go to, uh, the education departments on the reservations. We get to know who's over there, all the children there. And that's on each reservation, you know. We, we've been to a lot of them, and this is how you create relationships. And also, we've introduced ourselves to the school districts, um, the high schools, just showing presence that, that we're here. We want to help our students succeed. We want to create pathways to San Diego State University. And this is how we're doing it. And there's a lot of examples that we've already done here on campus. Like we have students that are students here at San Diego State that myself and Dr. Sarah, we work together in teaching the students who the Kumeyaay Nation is through the history, culture, traditions. And we invite community members from the reservations. And the most really cool thing about this is that our students get to go to the reservations. They, uh, we created many relationships across the board with this one class. And our students are now on um, Rona Reservation. We didn't have it this fall, but we're having the class in the springtime. It's, it's open right now. Anyone wants to take it, join it. We are going to be visiting reservations, uh, working with children on the res, so that we have an understanding of what the res life is, how... Uh, how things operate, creating a relationship with the students, creating a relationship with the teachers there, and um, 
just being a supportive uh, asset to the community, and that's how you create relationships. And that's just one way to, like, create a relationship, going into the reservations and talking to everybody and spreading and bringing awareness of, like, hey, we have these programs at SDSU. Guess what? We have Native Resource Center. And I'm like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Like, for me to sit there when I speak anywhere I go, I see all the things that have been created by Natives that are here now and Indigenous people that started since the beginning of San Diego State, of all the efforts of trying to get a place where they could feel like they belong. And they did that. They put that work in from the past all the way till now. It has been planted. The seed has been grown. Now we have Native Resource Center. And I am super proud because I sit back and I look around. I was like, wow. Like, we were just talking about this, like, in 2019. Even back in the day, further when we were up in Canada, like, the things that we needed. And to see it already here, it's, 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 a, it's amazing. It's a blessing. And it's healing for us and our people that, that we can be anywhere and feel good. Yeah. And you mentioned the Native Resource Center, which was first created in 2019. Uh, there are also specific programs that support Native students coming into SDSU, especially first years and transfers. How are these resources really supporting Native students who might feel unseen on campus? Yeah, so presence, you know, like our presence is everything. Um, and, and knowing where we came from and understanding what our students are going to be feeling. Um, we're kind of like deleting that whole process of feeling that when we create uh, places of belonging. So at the Native Resource Center, it's a place you can go, do your homework, study. There are events happening there all the time. Uh, we have Facebook, um, the Native Resource Center that has all our events, and we have an awesome program called EY Unlash Chop. Youth Think is the translation. And that program is designed for juniors and seniors that are indigenous to um, mentor students that are freshmen and incoming freshmen. Mm -hmm. So when you have a mentorship there, you know, like you're being helped, you're being taken care of. There's people asking questions. There's people asking your professors questions. There's people that have your back, you know. So like these mentors are set in place for that. And then our students come in and on Fridays they they meet for an hour. Um, there's guest speakers that come in from the indigenous community. Um, there's a, a professor that's there that teaches every single Friday. And it's a place that where all students that are indigenous, they get together and they get to talk about uh, different topics. You know, SDSU first raised the Kumeyaay flag back in 2019. San Diego Unified and Mesa College raised the Kumeyaay flag last month. It seems like there is more representation, right? Yes, 100%. And I'm super proud of that. And I've, I had uh, some experience with that with um, just here on campus. We were, you know, what was the first thing they asked? What was the first thing you want to do? Uh, raise the Nation's flag, you know? Like, we haven't, you know, this is the line of our people, and I want to honor them. So we did that here at SDSU, and it, and it stays here every single day. If you go in the middle of our campus, you'll see the land of the Kumeyaay uh, flag. And if you want to know about more about it, you can come talk to me anytime. Um, you can even research it yourself on the internet. Like, there's so much about the Kumeyaay Nation, and there's 12 reservations around you that are Kumeyaay, you know, that you can go visit and check out for yourself. But, um, yeah, and from there, you know, it's, it's everything's like a ripple effect. You know, you plant a seed, what happens, it grows, and you nurture that seed, it grows even bigger. So that's what happened, you know. Um, different universities started contacting uh, myself and Chanel and people from the Kumeyaay Nation 
on the process of honoring the Kumeyaay people, how 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 do we raise the flag here at their university? So like there was a process, and it was cool because we went through that process with them. Uh, we even helped them create, uh, help them with their land acknowledgement, and people had questions. So we were able to collaborate across different you know um, universities and colleges, and that itself is building relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, talk to me about you know how young people are working to preserve Kumeyaay culture, identity, and language. Yeah, I mean, all over the Kumeyaay Nation, there's uh, language programs, language revitalization, especially at uh, Kumeyaay Community College. Um, they offer classes there, Kumeyaay 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're actually in the process of creating some stuff with Kumeyaay Community College. We actually have an MOU with them um, that we've worked hard towards for the last couple of years. So we ha- we, we've we established a relationship with uh, KCC and the work that they do with revitalizing the language, teaching the language, teaching ethno, teaching uh, humanities, teaching everything under the umbrella of the Kumeyaay Nation. And our students can go to school there. And if you go to school there, you can come to school here. So there's a pathway. Go to KCC. Go to, if you want to transfer in, there's a way to transfer in at CSU. You know, we created all these pathways for students to come here. And um, also, like tonight, for example, we... On my res, where we have culture class, and we're going to be bird singing. We're teaching the entire the bird song cycle and what that means and all the stuff that goes with that. And we have a lot of people coming in. So, like, each reservation is doing their thing to, to revitalize the culture, traditions. And, you know, all year long, we have gatherings. Uh, the culmination has gatherings starting in June all the way to the end of the year. You'll see... Um, there's a there's flyers that where you can go and participate. You can come and eat. Um, it's a welcoming place, you know, for everybody. And these take place on the reservation, so you can get a, an idea of who who the Kumeyaay people are, who Indigenous people are around this area in San Diego. All right. I've been speaking with Jacob Alvarado Wypuck, the tribal liaison at San Diego State. Professor Wypuck, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.